Good morning, everyone. As the Apostle Paul would say, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So whether you're new here, this is your first Sunday, or you're a longtime member, welcome. I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad to be here uh, these next six weeks, um, preaching through the doctrine of God as we get to know His personality, so Pastor Tom can enjoy some, some much-needed sabbatical rest. Now, as 2023 gets underway, for a lot of you, New Year's resolutions and such, you're probably beginning to think about what these next 12 months might look like. And be assured that this next year for you will be filled with both awesome mountaintop highs and awful valley lows. Like, let's be honest, right? If we, if we think back to the last 12 months, you will have memories of good times and bad times, of, of seasons of pain and seasons of pleasure. Every year is a mixture of both. So what will you do to prepare your soul for the ever-changing journey ahead of you? What can you do today so that you won't forget about God when life is easy and so that you don't lose faith in God when life is hard? I think the Apostle Paul gives us some insight as to an answer in Romans 10, 17. In that verse, he says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so what Paul is saying in that verse is the way that your faith, the way that your connection and relationship with God is, is formed, is nurtured, and can grow is by you listening to the voice of God through the voice of His Holy Spirit inside of you and through the voice of His Holy Word in the Bible as God has self-revealed His own personality in Scripture. We'll start that this morning with the single most important sentence for describing God's personality in all of the Bible. And I know that's a, a big claim, right? But that's not just my opinion. The reason I know that this is God's very favorite verse for describing himself is because he repeats this sentence more than any other in all the Bible. This is the single most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible. And curiously, God labels this sentence his name did you know that God has a name? And did you know that his name is not actually God? I'm excited for you to hear from God's word this morning, but before you do, I have a short video clip to show you from the Bible Project to set the scene. Let's watch together. The Bible is a collection of many ancient Israelite scrolls, and together they're telling one unified story. Now, if you look at the second scroll, Exodus, you'll find two important sentences. They're actually so important that they're referenced and requoted over 20 more times within the Bible itself. It must be important. What does it say? Yahweh, Yahweh, that's God's name, a God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. I can see why it's repeated so often. These attributes of God are really lovely. And the statement goes on. He maintains loyal love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he won't declare innocent the guilty, 
He will bring the iniquities of the fathers upon the children and grandchildren to the third and the fourth. Okay, hold on. This last part takes a bit of a turn. We're first talking about God's love, and suddenly it's about his judgment on grandkids. So is God merciful or vengeful? Yeah, great question. Let's see these words in a larger context by looking at something important in Genesis, the first scroll of the Bible. There God chooses one family, the Israelites, from among the nations, and he promises that he's going to rescue the whole world through this family somehow. And Genesis ends with the family of Abraham in Egypt. Then the book of Exodus begins, and this book has two large movements. Right, okay, so this first movement of Exodus, God rescues Israel from slavery in Egypt. And in the second movement, God leads them to Mount Sinai, where they camp out for a year. And God invites this whole nation into a partnership called a covenant, so that they can be shaped by his values and character. And represent God to all the other nations. Exactly. Now, this whole Mount Sinai movement in Exodus can be broken up into four literary units. First, there's the actual ceremony where the Israelites agree to be God's partners. And God sets up the terms of the relationship, starting with the Ten Commandments. The first two are... Don't give your allegiance to other gods and don't make any idol images of God. Seems simple enough. After that, God shows Moses detailed blueprints for building this sacred home so that God can come and live among them. All right, and then comes a really long narrative about the building of that sacred home. But you missed something. Right in between these sections is the story that has our description about God's character. The story begins with Moses going up on the mountain, writing down the partner agreement, as the Israelites are at the base of the mountain, violating the first two commands. That's ridiculous. They're breaking the covenant vows while the ceremony is still going on. Yes. And so God is hurt and angry, and he warns Moses that this betrayal will keep on happening. God is ready to call it quits. But what about his promise to rescue the world through them? Yeah, exactly. This is what Moses brings up. And so what is God going to do? Should he end the partnership, which would be fair? Or will he be faithful to his promise to Abraham and show them mercy? Great. Let's focus in now on our narrative this morning. So in this book of Exodus, after God has now been persuaded by Moses to fully forgive Israel for this idolatry, and to make his presence go with his people into the promised land, Moses is, is surely relieved at this point, at God's great grace and forgiveness. But he's not yet satisfied. Moses still wants assurance to know for sure that God is a man of his word. So Moses asks God, show me your glory. It's kind of like a fiancé proposing and the woman says, show me the ring. This is, in effect, what Moses is saying to God here. Show me the ring. Give me a token of your promise so that I can know for sure. Give me a glimpse of this presence of yours, God, that you say will accompany us into the promised land as a token of your good faith so I can know for sure that it's really going to happen. Let's listen into this exchange firsthand. Now, you don't have to turn there yet, uh, but in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, the encounter begins this way. Moses said, 
Please show me your glory. And Yahweh said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But Yahweh said, You cannot see my face, for a man shall not see me and live. And Yahweh said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Skipping ahead to chapter 34, verse 5, the narrator continues, Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. Okay, let me put for you in simple terms what's going on here. Moses asked God to see his glory, and God's response is, not going to happen, Moses. If you were to see the full force of my beauty and power and glory, your soul would disintegrate on the spot. You would die instantly. So Moses, here's what we're going to do. Moses, I want you to come up to the top of Mount Sinai, and I'm going to put you into a cleft of the rock, into a crevice, into a crack where you can be protected. And Moses, as I approach, I'm going to hold my hand over you so that as I approach, you don't accidentally see me and die. And Moses, as I pass by all my glory, I'm going to call out and proclaim to you this one-sentence summary of my personality, my name. And afterward, Moses, as I'm walking away, turning my back, I'm going to lift up my hand so that as I walk away, you can see an afterglow of my glory from my back. Then the narrator says in Exodus 34 that Yahweh then descends in a cloud, likely a powerful storm cloud with thunder and lightning, ready to do precisely what he described. I want you to take note here that Moses asked to see God's glory. But curiously, God's response is to cover his eyes and to open his ears. In other words, the best way that you can see God is not with your eyes. It's with your ears. By hearing God's voice via the Holy Spirit and especially today within the pages of Scripture, listen not to what God looks like visually. Listen to what His heart looks like. Listen to what God's holy personality looks like. And if you listen, you too, like Moses, can see a glimpse of God's glory this morning. Let's now walk through this single sentence that Yahweh proclaims phrase by phrase. Verse 6 in chapter 34 begins, Yahweh passed before Moses and proclaimed, Yahweh Yahweh. Now, right off the bat, some of you might have noticed in your English translations, most Bibles don't say Yahweh here. They say Lord, written in all capital letters. And every time in the Old Testament that the word Lord is written in all caps, 
That's actually God's personal name, Yahweh. And it occurs in the Old Testament over 5,000 times. Now, the reason it's written LORD in all caps is because the ancient Hebrew scribes were so scared of accidentally breaking the third commandment, of taking the Lord's name in vain, that they just said, forget about it. We're not going to speak or write Yahweh's name at all just to be safe. And so what they did is they changed the written vowels of God's name to say Lord in the Old Testament, which is a true title for Yahweh, but it's not his personal name. And this is just a tradition that's followed us all the way into the 21st century. So I encourage you from now on, Whenever you see written in your Bible, LORD, in all capital letters, a little bell should go off in your mind reminding you, ah, this is God's personal name, Yahweh. So, for example, the famous Psalm 23 begins, Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. So, understand, God is his title, LORD is his title, but these aren't his name. I'll give you an illustration. A human person is what I am, but Cole is who I am. That's my name. In a similar way, God is what he is, but Yahweh, Yahweh is who he is. And Yahweh is repeated twice in this verse for emphasis. And again, it's mentioned over 5,000 times in the Old Testament. So Yahweh's name is a big big deal in the Bible. So naturally, the next question is, why is this God's personal name instead of George or, or John or Jenny, and, and what does Yahweh mean? I think we find the answer in God and Moses' first encounter in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 14. They say this, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Yahweh means I am, or more precisely in the third person, he is. Yahweh, He is. Bible scholars have debated often precisely what this means. It can mean many things. But at least one meaning, He is, means that God is eternally existent and present with His people. Yahweh has always existed and He always will and he will always be with his church. In context, when the Israelites were going through years of painful slavery, and, and, and now in Exodus 34, wandering through the wilderness, they needed to be assured that God still was, that he still existed, that he still cared, that he still was with them. God was saying to his people, I still am, and God is telling you this morning the same when he tells you Yahweh, he says, I still am. In this next year, teenagers, if you experience great anxiety or depression, remember Yahweh 
He is. He is faithful. Spouses, in 2023, if you tragically miscarry, remember Yahweh. He is. He is faithful. Singles, if if you feel lonely at points this year, remember Yahweh. He is. He is present. Yahweh exists with his people even through great pain and suffering. He gives them joy and his powerful presence, and he always will. And Yahweh's not just God the Father, by the way. He's God the Holy Spirit and God the Son as well. This is the triune God passing before Moses, declaring his name. Six times throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus claims, I am without any object for this verb, identifying himself as this God, Yahweh. Through Jesus, then, Yahweh became flesh and dwelt among us. He was, and he is, and he is to come. Now, the whole sentence here in verses 6 and 7 is God's name, but Yahweh is like God's first name, his name proper. So let's see next what else God says about the contents of his name. Yahweh, Yahweh, he is, he is a God merciful and gracious. Now, this next word, merciful, is an interesting one. I think in the Hebrew, it can be better translated as compassionate. Compassionate. In other words, the first characteristic God describes about himself after his personal name is that he cares. What an encouragement. Even after all of Israel's wicked rebellion, God wants Moses to know that he still cares. And this is the first thing God wants you to know about his heart toward you as a sinner and a sufferer in this world. If you're a child of God, when you cry, God cries. He feels you. Etymologically, this word for merciful comes from the Hebrew word for womb. And so the idea is of a mother who's pregnant in her womb, and once she gives birth to her child from her womb, she's forever linked to her children with compassion. Moms in the room, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about, right? No matter how old your children get or no matter how mean they might even get, you'll always care for them with compassion. And this is the great heart of Yahweh for you. He will always care for his children. Isaiah 49, 15 makes this clear. It says, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I, Yahweh, will not forget you. In the Gospels, nine times it is said that Jesus was moved with compassion for those who were lost and hurting. Yahweh cares. And this first word, compassionate or merciful, is what then moves Yahweh to the second word, gracious, full of grace. The first word, compassionate, is how Yahweh feels, and the second word, gracious, is what Yahweh does. 
Compassionate is a feeling, and graciousness is an action. Yahweh's compassion for sinners is what moves his heart to act with grace towards sinners who don't deserve it. Yahweh's compassion is what moved him to enact the gospel, to become a man, to be with us, to to live a perfect life on earth that we could never live, earning eternal life, to die a death of punishment for your sins, experiencing hell on the cross in your place, and rising from the grave, defeating death itself, so that those who exercise repentant faith in Him and genuine relationship can be saved from Yahweh's just wrath against sin and instead can receive His compassion and His grace. This is the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. Yahweh is merciful and gracious. How about you? Are you compassionate and gracious? And not just to your friends, that'd be easy. What about to the people you don't like? When someone who has hurt you is really struggling, is your heart indifferent? Or even worse, do you rejoice when you see them struggling? Or do you feel and express compassion to your enemies because God first showed that same love to you? Let's learn from Yahweh's example. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, slow to anger. In the Hebrew, this phrase says long of nose. God is long of nose. Now, I don't think we have a Pinocchio situation going on here. God is spirit. He doesn't have a human body. No, this is a human, uh, I'm sorry, a Hebrew metaphor. The idea is, is like a raging bull, and its nostrils begin to flare when it gets angry, and it takes a really short time for the bull to get to this point. So it has a short nose. A bull has a short fuse. Not so with God. God being long of nose means he's really patient. It takes him a really long time for his anger to surface. In context, in Exodus chapter 5, while in Egypt, the Israelites didn't believe God's word, that he was really powerful enough or cared enough to save them from Pharaoh. Yet, God was not angry. In Exodus 14, while at the Red Sea, the Israelites didn't believe God's word, that, that he was powerful enough to save them even through a body of water. Yet, God was not angry. In Exodus 16, after crossing, the Israelites didn't believe God's word, that he'd provide water and food. And so they complained and grumbled, and yet Yahweh was not angry. He was long of nose. In Exodus 32, after making a solemn covenant pact to only worship Yahweh, when the Israelites broke that, finally, Yahweh was angry. Yahweh threatened to perhaps call it quits with Israel before Moses persuaded him to renew the covenant, which, by the way, was an act of compassion and grace. Notice, though, it's not that God is never angry. This is why hell still exists for those who tragically refuse to receive God's grace. But it does mean God is incredibly patient. 1 Timothy 2.4 says that God desires all 
to come to a saving knowledge of Him. So as long as you are always willing to humble yourself, to call out to Yahweh through Christ in faith, Yahweh is always willing, like the Israelites, to renew to you His compassion and His grace. So how about you? Are you long of no's? Was anyone short of no's to anyone on the way driving to church this morning? Because God is, is long of no's with you, incredibly patient with your sins. Be long of no's with others and with their wrongs against you. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, long of no's and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is God's loyalty in His love toward His people. Like a righteous husband, God promises to never divorce His people. He will never stab you in the back. He will always be faithful to keep His word, to follow through on what He says. And the text doesn't say He has just a little of this. It says He's abounding in it. It's like a bank that's just overflowing with money and coins and dollar bills. This is a picture of the abundance of God's great riches of His mercy and grace, of His loyal love and faithfulness. It's abounding. It never ends. So how about you? Are are you loyal in your love to others? Are you faithful to your word? Do you follow through on your commitments? Next, God says that he keeps steadfast love for thousands. And the implication here is for thousands of generations. Yahweh is a generational God. He doesn't just care about each of you as individuals. He cares about your families. If you know Yahweh, he wants your children and your children's children and your children's children to know his love too. So in light of this, I encourage you to partner with Yahweh in his intergenerational plan for your family. Don't make the mistake of thinking to yourself that that you're faithfully discipling your children if you only drop them off at church a few times a week. Just like how kids need meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day, Parents and grandparents, your children need spiritual food every day. You would never give your children only two meals a week and say that you're doing all right. In the same way, don't let a week go by without praying with your children, reading the Bible to them, talking to them about this great Yahweh you serve. Christians, partner with Yahweh so that his steadfast love for you will be passed down for generations. Next scripture says that Yahweh is forgiving of iniquity and transgression and sin. And the idea here of of Yahweh including not one, not two, but three synonyms for sin is to underscore the comprehensiveness of forgiveness. No matter the amount or intensity of your sin, God is able to forgive all of it. And because God is able and willing to forgive and remove all of your shame and wrongdoings, as Christians, you owe forgiveness to others too. Yahweh ends his name by saying, he will 
by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Now, this doesn't mean that God will punish a child for his dad's sins. That would be unfair. Instead, this is describing generational sin. We know this well, right? When a child grows up in an alcoholic home, he or she is much more likely to become an alcoholic themselves and then to damage their own relationships and hurt the people around them in their own lives. Because sin is always social. It always affects your community. Our God is a generational God. Your children will likely receive from you either a heritage of sin and rebellion against God or a heritage of grace. So seek God wholeheartedly so that your children will learn from your example. Call out to Him for grace regularly so that your children might run to His gospel too. Now, some of you might have noticed an apparent paradox in this last phrase. You might be thinking, I thought we just read that Yahweh does forgive iniquity and transgression and sin. So why is the text saying now that he'll by no means clear the guilty? I think the answer to this paradox can be found at the foot of the cross. Yahweh will punish every sin ever committed. The question is just whether your sins will be punished in your body, tragically in hell forever, or in the body of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. As a just God, He will punish every sin, but He can offer you complete forgiveness of everything you've ever done because Jesus experienced hell and the cross in your place if you might call out to God in faith. This is our Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious. Let's pray. Yahweh, we pray to you that you are, that you are merciful and gracious, long of nose and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Yahweh, we praise you for being a generational God who cares for our children and our grandchildren. We thank you, Yahweh, for the comprehensiveness of your forgiveness. And we thank you even for your justice, that you do what's right. Yahweh, after Moses heard your name, your word says that he quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. So, Father, I ask that you would please move in our hearts and minds right now by your Holy Spirit, that our response of song might be just as enthusiastic as Moses. May we be quick, reverent, and grateful for your name, Yahweh. We pray in your name.